Welcome back to Lambs. I hope you enjoyed your December break. Um, if you're like me, you enjoyed it, but we're eager to get back to a routine and back into First Peter. And I am glad to be with you guys this morning. As I was preparing to speak with you ladies today, I was encouraged to recognize that this, this time, this, the beginning of a new year, is a perfect time to address this topic um, of submission. As the old year comes to a close and before the new year begins, I start to pray about how the Lord wants me to use my time, my energy, and my resources. And I start thinking about my, my goals for the upcoming year. And uh, it's a great time where you can just hold the schedules and the things that you value in your hand and say, these are the things you've given me, Lord, and how would you want me to use them? And I think that that's a great picture of submission looking to the Lord and saying, how do you want me to use the time that you've given me? And often that's not the problem that we have with submission. We don't look and say, I don't want to submit to you, Lord. It's when you broaden the topic that it becomes a little more touchy for us. And um, uh, submission is basically yielding to the authority of another. And it's a beautiful thing when you think about submitting to our Lord. And um, I gave you a listening guide. It was supposed to have blanks, but that kind of didn't work out. Sorry about that. So I gave you all the answers. Um, <laughs> But the first point is the first, the most important thing we need to remember about submission is that's what it is, is ultimately we are submitting to our Heavenly Father. And so as we discuss submission in these upcoming weeks, um, we want to keep that foremost in our mind. We are submitting to our Heavenly Father, and that is a beautiful thing. Um, but that's not the issue we have with submission most of the time. Submission gets... Uh, a little harder when we think about it, rubbing it up against our pride, submitting to an actual person that we see on a daily basis or a government that is over us or a boss that is over us. That's a little more difficult. I mean, it's one thing for me to put myself under God, but another thing for, for it to be another person. So I want you to think about this. Um, I looked up some synonyms for submission, and I want you to think about how you would feel if someone were describing you on their Facebook post using these words, how would you feel if someone described you as yielding, obedient, compliant, tame, biddable, acquiescent, humble, unprotesting or unresisting, quiet, mild, gentle, docile, lamb-like, unassuming, would you feel like someone's giving you a compliment? But now, when I thought about that for myself personally, then I started thinking, how would I feel if that was how the Lord was describing me? Would I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been yielding. You've been obedient. That makes me want to cry even when I start thinking about it. Please, Lord, one day. Um, I'm a work in progress. Quiet, mild, gentle. So I wanted us to start thinking about that because... Um, I think that is how we want the Lord to see us. And so I would want to challenge us. Do we see those qualities that I just mentioned, and specifically the quality of submission, through the lens of the world, or are we seeing it through the lens of our Heavenly Father? Which one of those points of view is more important to us? And um, as we can just keep that in mind as we discuss the topic of submission, because we're going to be in it for six weeks. <laughs> this is just the first one. I would also just want to start off by saying I am not going to answer all your questions about submission today, but we're going to be discussing it for a while. So hopefully as the weeks progress that um, things will be more clear to you. 
uh, I also want to remind you that God is so gracious to us, and he gives us his spirit in us to help us have his perspective about submission. And he also gives us his word to guide us and his son as an example to follow. And so let's, let's pray to him and ask him to help us do this. Heavenly Father, we do um, trust you, Lord. And often um, submitting to you, we want to say it's an easy thing, but even that we struggle with sometimes. Lord, we, um, this in nature rears its head and we want our own way sometimes. But Father, um, ultimately we do want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, Lord. And we want to be submissive to you. And we recognize that you've called us to submit to others. So Father, give us your eyes to see your truth. Give us hearts that can trust that your way is the best for us, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would give us the vision that submission is a beautiful way that we can let your light shine through us in this world. So Father, as I speak this morning, help me remember everything you'd have me to say. Help us listen um, with open hearts and open ears. And Father, I pray that we would be changed by our time in your word this morning. Amen. I'm like, what have I done? My goodness, this is my first time and I broke the church. Okay, so I'm going to recap what we've been studying in 1 Peter. Get us back up to speed. Remember, Peter is writing to believers that are scattered throughout um, what is modern-day Turkey. And he's explained to them that they have a living hope, which gives them encouragement for the day-to-day living. But they also have an eternal inheritance that's waiting for them in heaven. So they have hope for the future as well. He says, but I recognize, or Peter recognizes, that they are going to be facing trials. And those trials are to refine their faith and to help solidify their faith. And the other thing he does is he encourages them that they are not, um, they're called to live holy lives but they're not having to do it alone. He reminds them that they are part of something bigger. He talks about they are living stones being built together into a spiritual house. And then he tells them that they are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He says they are his possessions. They belong to him. And then he gives them the reason why he's given all this background. He's like, now live for my glory. And this is where the book kind of shifts. It's going from the theology to the how-tos. For the next part of the book, um, he's going to be telling us how do we bring him glory by the way we live. And so we're going to start, we're going to go through Second Peter 2, 13 through 25. But I want us to back up and I want us to start reading in verse 12. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then the first thing he talks about is submission. Okay? He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor's supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it? If when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might also follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, ladies, this morning I'm going to give you a bird's eye view of submission. And I really only have two points that I want to make. But as we discuss submission over the next six weeks, I want you to keep these two points in mind. And that is, one, that godly submission brings glory to God. And two, godly submission helps us look like Jesus. Okay? I want you to notice how many times in verses 13 through 20, this passage references our relationship to the Lord. In 13, it says, for the Lord's sake. 15 says, this is the will of God. And just as a little aside, when I'm studying my Bible, I like to mark it up. And so what I do is I always highlight any reference to God or the Father in yellow, like his glory shining on my page, right? And then if it talks about Jesus, I underline it in blue. And so as I was doing this to this passage, I'm like, he's all over the place here. Keep going. In 17, it says, fear God. 19 says, being mindful of God. 20 says, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. And 21 says, to this we are called. And I thought, who's calling us? God's calling us to this. It says, to follow in his steps, or that's Christ's steps. And 25 says, now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Again, that's naming God. So the way that we interact with the authority in our lives is going to reflect on our relationship with the Lord. I want you to think about it. I have three boys whom I love dearly. Yes, they're sweet little hearts. They are works in progress. They are not perfect yet. And my little boys, not so little anymore, come home and tell me stories about how they're interacting with the authority in their life. And I'm like, oh, quite honestly, sometimes it can be mortifying. And sometimes I hear the story from them. Sometimes I hear the stories from their teachers or their life group leaders who might be in this room. God's grace abounds, right? And, and, and really, the way that they respond to authority, it does reflect on me, and it can be embarrassing at times. And then I step back and I think, oh, is the way I respond to authority, that's reflecting on my Heavenly Father. How am I doing with that? Um, do I even stop to think how my actions and my attitudes are reflecting on my Savior and Lord? How do I respond when I don't like a certain rule or regulation that the government has put in front of me, like those signs that have the numbers on them, like 45 or something like that? I mean, how am I responding to the stop sign? Is that a rule or is that just a suggestion? But, I mean, if you've got a fish on the back of your car, you need to be careful. I'm just telling you, it's reflecting on our Father, right? Um, in the world that we live in, it's the culture that is telling you that life is all about you. Might makes right. You need to look out for number one. If you're, You've got to be your own advocate. Nobody's going to help you unless you help yourself. And so it really causes us to focus a lot on ourselves and makes us feel like that we're the most important thing in the world. And so this idea of submission, it stands out in blatant contradiction to the world that we live in. And I think that's a great opportunity for us as believers because that, I mean, when you're going through struggles, that's one thing because 
that's when his light shines. But when you submit in a world that is saying, whoa, that's not right, it's so countercultural, that is when God is going to be able to get the most glory through you because you're not going to look like the world around you. And so I would challenge you to let his light shine through you um, by submitting in ways that other people might not. Um, I also notice on the page I said godly submission. And I put it like that because I call it godly because I want to distinguish it um, from our false ideas that we have about submission. I know one of your homework questions was to write about negative stereotypes um, that we have about submission. God is not given glory when... Sorry, I need to take this out because it keeps shaking, I think. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> um, God's not giving glory when believers blindly follow their leaders into sin. That is not godly submission. He's not giving glory when believers fail to speak up for what you know is true and right. There's a right way to approach authority um, in your figure, the authority figures in your life when their instructions are in violation to your conscience. Um, I was reading through the Bible last year using the church's plan, and I was really excited because in December we got the book of Daniel. And I was reading about him and his friends, and I thought, this is a perfect picture of submission. And so I just thought I would recap a few things in Daniel's life. Uh, Daniel and his friends were wealthy young men, and they were also good-looking. I mean, they were picking the cream of the crop when they picked these guys, right? Um, But they were picking them to take them from their homes and into captivity into Babylon, Now, it doesn't give us any indication that they complained about a secular education. They didn't complain when they had their names changed. The first time that we see there being an issue is uh, is with the food, and they didn't want to break God's laws in order to eat the food that they were supposed to be eating in captivity. But what I found fascinating was, I mean, they didn't start a food fight. They didn't start, you know, hiding the food that was bad. They didn't, you know, raise up a general outcry. What they did is they said, hey... They asked if they could be allowed to eat their own diet. And then they said, why don't they ask? They submitted to their captors and said, why don't you test us? And then, however it turns out, we're going to submit to you. Now, God gave them favor with their captors. And um, in fact, the Lord gave them favor under many different rulers. But what I thought was beautiful was uh, they didn't agree. In fact, one of my friends told me a while back, she said, submission is only submission when you disagree. Because, I mean, if you're, if you're agreeing with it, you're not having to submit. You're still getting your own way. And so these guys, even, I mean, it doesn't tell us what would have happened if the test hadn't gone their way. But they trusted God to allow the food that they, that was good for them, that was in his um, suggested or required uh, diet. He, they trusted that that was going to be what was best for them. And, and so, but the way they responded to the authority was still respectful. Um, I also wanted to mention that under these rulers, they, they rose to positions of authority, but that didn't mean that they were agreeing with what was going on in their government. I mean, the nation that they were having to serve had, had invaded their homeland, destroyed their homes and businesses. They even destroyed the temple. And yet we don't see these men trying to raise up a rebellion. We don't see them trying to lead a coup against these pagan kings. The only time that we read that they were at odds with the secular authority um, was when their faith was at stake and their God's glory was being challenged. The friends, which are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they 
refused to submit to Nebuchadnezzar one time when he wanted them to bow down to, a gold, to the golden idol. But even the way they did it, they said, you know, King, uh, we think our God is going to save us, but even if he doesn't, we can't bow down. And so even in that, they were saying, this might not go well for us, but we're still, we have to remain true to our God and to his standards. So it may seem like they weren't submitting, but they were actually submitting to the punishment that may come from choosing to follow, um, follow God's way instead of the others. But the way that it worked out was that they did get thrown into the fiery furnace. You know, you'd think, well, God was scooping and say, well, he did, but they had to go through the fiery furnace first. But when they came out, the result was that Nebuchadnezzar not only praised God, but I thought you can read this in chapter 3 of Daniel. Not only did Nebuchadnezzar praise God, but he made a decree that nobody else was to speak against God for fear of dismemberment. You can look that up. It's really there. I'm like, wow, that's kind of harsh. But that's a pagan God giving glory, pagan king giving glory to our God. Another time under King Darius, Daniel, he, um, they made a decree that nobody was to pray. Well, that was a line that Daniel wanted to draw in the sand. He's like, no, I've got to continue to pray. And so he didn't just roll over and say, okay, that's the, that's the government's will, so I'm just going to bow to it. No, he said, I've got to submit to the punishment that may come, but I've still got to be faithful to my God. So he continued to pray, and the result was he was thrown into a lion's den. That probably was not very encouraging for him, but what was encouraging is God did give him favor again, and he spared him. And the result of that was this pagan king praised God, and he also made a decree. It didn't have anything to do with dismemberment, but he said he made a decree that all should fear Daniel's God. And I bring up these situations because in each of these, the men were living in a way that caused a fallen world to take notice, and then that world that had thrown him into the fiery furnace and thrown him into the lion's den, they ended up praising God because of the result of these men's faithfulness. So in Daniel 6, I think I put this on your sheet, it said they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection to the law of his God. And this mirrors perfectly what it was saying in Second Peter to 12, where the conduct among Gentiles needs to be so honorable that although they may say you're evil, they're going to look and say, man, the way he's living is good, and they're going to glorify God. But it also mirrors what Christ told us in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. So uh, we live in a country where we may not agree with everything that our um, government is deciding. We may not agree with their rules and decisions that are even a little more, you know, of more substance than the speed limits, right? But we may have a boss that makes our job harder than it needs to be. But what we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, when I struggle to submit, is it because my conscience is violated and my God's name is being profaned? Or do I struggle to submit because my preferences aren't taken into account. Is it an issue of my pride or is it an issue of God's glory? And so that's when you think about submission in general, we want to submit because that is what's going to give glory to God because we are going to stand out and apart from the world that's around us. The second point I want us to make is godly submission makes us look more like Jesus. I think another fault, another faulty view we have of submission is it's going to make us seem weak 
or maybe somebody's going to take advantage of us. But the reality is, is uh, God's not asking us to do anything that Christ didn't do before us. And we need to see submission through the lens of our Heavenly Father instead of through the world's lens because contrary to popular belief, submitting to another person is not a sign of weakness, but it's actually a sign of strength. I want you to think about how much um, self-control does it take for you to blurt out your grievances? Not too much. It's pretty easy for us, actually. Um, How much restraint does it take um, for you to do things your own way? Nothing. It takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of control. It takes a lot of restraint to be submissive because you are going against... um, against what your natural desires are. And so when you think about submission, I want you to see it through the lens of God and see it as strength. We don't look back at Daniel and his friends and think they were weak. We think of them as being strong men. So let's change our perspective and recognize that when we practice godly submission, it makes us look more like Jesus. And let me show you that. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus submitting to the Father, over and over again. In John five nineteen, 19, Jesus says, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. In John 8, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And the things that he was asked to do were not easy, right? We see in the garden um, that it, he would have preferred there to be another way to save the world, Right? Um, but he wanted to please the Lord more than he wanted his own way, more than he valued his own comfort, more than he even valued his own life. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Um, when we look at verses 21 or 20 through 25, in the first, in two verses, I think it's very interesting to me. In verses 22 and 23, three times in two verses, he talks about Jesus' tongue. And I think about that. And I will tell you, ladies, uh, next week, Jim Wilkins is going to go verse by verse through this passage. That's why I'm not hitting every point in here. So you are going to get some teaching on each of the passage. This is just a general overview. But I do think it's interesting how often uh, it talks about Christ and how he used his mouth, because in the area of submission, if you sit back and reflect, if if any of you in here are like me, the first sign that I don't want to submit is it comes from my mouth. I mean, maybe you guys can relate to that. Um, I tend to want to uh, use my words, but Jesus didn't do that. He kept quiet. And you think about what is amazing to me about that is the words of God or the words of Christ were what created the world. It tells us that in John 1 and in Colossians 1. And so you think about the power that were in his words, and he chose not to use them. Uh, In the account where they were arresting Jesus in the garden, in John's account, uh, the guys come in and they say, hey, where's Jesus? And he says, you know, who's Jesus? He says, I am. And when he says that, all the people are flattened. They all fall to the ground. So when you think about the power that was in his, his mouth, but yet he didn't open, um, open it during the time when they were taking him to the cross. I'm just so impressed by that. I'm also quite convicted by that because um, my lack of submission is often seen in how I use my mouth. I want to use it to justify why my 
way is the best way. I want to make sure other people are just aware of their errors. And surely if they just saw things from my point of view, then it would all be clear, right? That doesn't necessarily show a heart of submission. Um, But the reason that uh, Jesus could respond differently is because he trusted in God. It says that he entrusted himself. um, Let's see which one. Finding the verse. Entrusted the one to the to the one who judges justly. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He used his mouth right because he trusted God to take care of it for him. And so that would be another challenge I would put forth to you, uh, a challenge to control your mouth and instead like let God do the work for you. Um, don't get me wrong, ladies. I recognize that submission is not easy. Um, I think about Daniel and his friends. They endured the fiery furnace. They endured the lion's pit. It tells us in our homework that Peter and Paul both suffered martyrs' deaths at the hands of the government. And Christ, he endured the cross. But when we think about our struggle, Hebrews 12, 4 reminds us. It says that, in our struggle against sin, and I pick this verse because when you think about sin, sin comes from the devil, sin comes from the world, but it, sin also comes from inside of ourselves. And that's often in submission. That's often the sin we're fighting is the sin that comes from within our own hearts. So in our struggle against sin, we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood. And so we need to keep in mind, when we think about submission, there is no injustice or humiliation or degradation that we can face that is more unjust or more humiliating or more degrading than what Christ faced for us on the cross. And he did that for us. And so when you think about, I kind of get teary because it's amazing what he did for us. But when you think about it, verse 24 tells us what gives us the power to even be able to submit in a way that's going to glorify God. And it talks about Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds we've been healed we've been raised to new life and galatians 2:20 says that i have been crucified with christ and i no longer live but he lives in me and the life i live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.20 also tells us that we are Christ's ambassadors as if Christ were living his life and making his appeal through us. And so when we keep our eyes fixed on Christ and remember that it is his power, which his strength, which works powerfully in us, we can choose to reflect his character as we live lives of submission. So we need to ask ourselves, is the way that I submit to others evidence that Christ is living in me. And he's given us the power to do it, so that would be my challenge for you. Now, I do love how this whole passage ends. It says, we were straying like sheep, but now we have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Years and years and years ago, I did a study on Psalm 23, and I remember reading about sheep and 
I mean, if you've read the Bible at all, you know how we are compared to sheep, and it is a very humbling comparison. You know, sheep, if that, without a shepherd, they're going to be like, oh, I think this is a good place to eat over here, and they're going to fall off a cliff. Or they're going to say, oh, this would be a good place, and they're going to fall in the water and drown. So there's some times in the sheep's life that the wool is so heavy that if they fall over, they'll die because they can't even get themselves back up. They're a mess without a shepherd. And so I love that it ended like this because it reminded us that Jesus is our shepherd, And he's the overseer of our souls. And I think those are a beautiful picture. And it goes back to the first point or the first thing I mentioned, which is our first job is to submit to this shepherd and overseer as we submit to God. The other issues that we have about submission, um, we have to trust that he's going to work in our heart. He's going to give us his spirit to see it his way. And he's going to to help us um, learn to submit in a godly way that's going to glorify him. So uh, I look forward to talking more about submission uh, with you ladies in small group and large group over the next six weeks. Um, But one of the things that Jen said as she ended up the homework was, let our submission to human authority become an extension of our submission to him. And that is my prayer for us ladies. So I'm going to close this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your spirit and your word and your son and your love and your grace and your forgiveness and um, and using all of that to conform us into your image, Lord. We pray that as we go through this world, Lord, that we would not live in a way that looks just like the world, but that in the way that we submit to authority and the way that we bend to others, Lord, that it would stand out as such a stark comparison, contrast, stark contrast to the world around us, Lord, that that people would take notice. And when they do, that they wouldn't glorify us, Lord, but they would glorify you. And they would want to know what has changed our lives and that they would, the people around us would ask us questions and we would be ready to give an answer to um, the hope that we have, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would fill us to overflowing and that as we spill out into the world around us, Lord, that you would receive much glory through our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you ladies.